0: Well, thank you all for joining us. We, are, we welcome you to the Traditions and Concepts in Relationships Workshop, and we're so excited that so many of you are interested. Um, my name is Anu, and I am a grateful member of Al-Anon. And thank you. <laughs> um, so I shared a little bit about how what uh, traditions and concepts have meant to me and my recovery, and I wanted to, you know, Alex and I wanted to take this time to spend uh, a few minutes, well, a couple of hours talking about traditions and concepts in our personal recovery, in our personal family relationships. Um, so we obviously will read the tradition uh, and concept the way that they are uh, presented in Al-Anon, but really we will take the, the perspective of what that looks like in our family. So, let's start with tradition one. Our common welfare comes first. Personal progress for the greatest number depends upon unity. So, from a forum in August of 1988, it says, Unity of the family members is important, and home is the place where each person has the opportunity to grow. If I assume someone else's responsibility, or someone else assumes mine, our growth and our relationship suffers. So when I was doing this, when I was working this tradition in our group, um, the important thing, the important question was, what is the purpose of my family? Why did God put my husband and I, our, our son, and my mother together as a family? Why would, would God do that? And really where it came down to is, you know, to grow along spiritual lines or spiritual uh, recovery of each of the members. So when I look at it from that lens, what is the common welfare in my home? Common welfare in my home would be that each of us grows um, along spiritual lines. And if it's recovery, personal growth, family growth, and spiritual awakening and acceptance of each other and ourselves then what's important is that I not look at it in the perspective of what, does, what do we look like to other people? What do we look like out there? Um, are we perceived as, as, a, you know, as enough, as good enough, or you know, as affluent enough, or, or anything like that? What's important is what's in the, on the inside and how we are growing together. So unity and leadership in the family unit means that we share the responsibility of keeping the family healthy. And um, if I practice, let it begin with me. And if I share honestly and authentically, just like we do in Al-Anon meetings, right? But for some reason, I used to go back home, and it's kind of like you know when we're getting ready for bed and we're like putting on pajamas and we're sort of getting comfortable, right? I used to be on my best behavior at work, be on my best behavior in an Al-Anon meeting, And then I would go home, and it's like I was taking off all the best behavior and putting on these, like, really comfy, um, really um, um, not helpful pajamas of character defects, you know. And then my family came across all of those not, you know, not friendly and not helpful character defects. That's what I was doing at home. So what this tradition tells me to do is if my family recovery is more important, then I have to be vigilant, Just like I'm vigilant in an Al-Anon meeting, I have to be vigilant. I have to watch for how my behavior is and what I'm looking um, for in my family and really concentrate on my family's recovery. So I'm going to read a couple of paragraphs from Path to Recovery. It's page 137 to 141 in Path to Recovery. It's Tradition One asks me to look at my part in the disunity in the family. Have I taken control? Have I taken it upon myself to make the most uh, of the decisions? For unity to exist in the family, all of us must have a voice. I had a very hard time with that because I didn't expect my family to have a voice that was any different from mine, and then I was really upset that they were not speaking up. (laughs) No one voice is more or less important than anyone else's. I have a responsibility to listen, to share, and to accept. I no longer have the right to make decisions for everyone. The people in my home deserve to make their own decisions and to be given the same respect that I desire for myself. And I think that shared concept of respect was, and respect and um, dignity and uh, compassion. And grace was really important in the family, and that was not part of the pajamas I changed into it when I got home. You know, That was not the part of it. So families can set aside time to discuss the issues and vote. <laughs> we'll tell you a little story about our vote um, in a little bit when we're talking about concepts. This way, no one forces others to do anything. Like in group conscience, we can disagree without getting angry. That was a huge, like, Awakening for me because I always got angry. That was my anger was my go to emotion, right? You know when you have those feeling wheels and the people tell you like, "What are you feeling?" I felt anger the whole time, right? So, um, for me to allow other people to feel feelings, for me to feel um, feelings was really important for me to let go and allow God to work through. This way, no one forces others to do anything. Um, I don't need to take it personally when we have different opinions. I can state my opinion and let go of the results. I can detach and not force solutions. We can agree to disagree. I don't always have to win or lose. You know, for me, um, I always looked at it as winning or losing. I was either the more favorite parent or I had lost as a parent. So I was constantly, you know, telling my child how much better I was with, you know, than his father. You know, how much better I was as a parent than any other parent out there, as if I needed to get some kind of a number one parent award. You know, but but unfortunately, this is where my, my character defect of greediness came in. I wanted to step on my husband's head to be able to be the number one parent. And I'm, you know, I'm not proud to admit that, but it would be authentic for me to admit that, that I would say some you know how his father had not measured up so that I would be the better parent which was so weird because he like worshiped the ground i walked on so i didn't need to work so hard i didn't need to make my husband look bad for me to do that and so and also he's th- my husband's the man i fell in love with and so for me to put him down was just completely backwards so Moving on to tradition two. By the way, um, Alex and I put together a tradition and concept questions guide that we were wanting to leave you with. And what I talked to Tammy uh, um, about is we can share with her the Google document that has three questions about how to use tradition, each tradition and each concept in your family relationship. And we were going to send it to her so that she can then share the PDF with you guys It's just three questions so that it's not overwhelming. We have 20 where it came from, but (laughs) we'll just leave you with three each. Um, Tradition two, for our group purpose, there is but one authority, a loving God who expresses himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Um, So al 12 Traditions Illustrated says, there is an unseen member present at every group meeting. The unseen member speaks through each one of us, and when we are united in spirit, helps to mold the group conscience. We have a duty to be well-informed, open-minded, and principled in our dealings as we are capable of being. I was not as principled as I was capable of being. I was unprincipled when I was at home, right? So for me to be principled at home, I have to understand the principles of courtesy, respect, Kindness, fairness, right? Those are the things that I get to practice at home in a very, um, in a very, very awakened, very um, conscious way. Pastor Recovery, page 145 to 151, has some excerpts. Letting our loving God guide us and remaining trusted servants, we are all part of the group and support its decisions. We can let God of our understanding be in the driver's seat, and we're all trusted servants, even in family relationships and home. When a family is in trouble, placing authority in a power greater than ourselves is critical to clear judgment. When tempers flare, listening for guidance is hard but important. We start by trusting our higher power and continue by learning to trust each other. So I was the breadwinner in the family. So I thought I was the queen. And, you know, if I didn't like something somebody said, off with their head, right? That's, that's how I was because I brought, brought in the money, and my husband was a stay-at-home dad. And so whatever I said went, and my husband was pre- pretty happy to let me take charge of that. So <laughs> here's how we made decisions, so um, if we were in, a, in, a mar- in the market for an appliance that we were purchasing, my husband is one of those research people. You know, he would have these browser windows open, like 25 different browser windows open, and it drives my son nuts. But, you know, he would have, um, you know, all the pros and cons and different, like, models and stuff like that we could purchase. And then he would go through all the Amazon reviews and ratings and, you know, all that stuff. And I would come home from work, and he would say, okay, so I've done all the research here, are all the choices. And he would get through maybe like three, and I would say, okay, we're buying that. But wait, we haven't gone through the other 21. I know, we're buying that. But what about, no, we're buying that, and that's how we made decisions. So I was doing my traditions and my family relationships, and I came back uh, from the traditions meeting, and they were talking about, you know, we look at each other as trusted servants, and how would one trusted servant work, you know, behave towards another person that's a trusted servant? Well, I had seen that in Al-Anon meetings. Like, there were some people who were GRs that should not have been GRs. I mean, I was judgmental, right? They were not they were not able to run a meeting, they didn't take enough notes and all that kind of stuff, right? So I was like, there were some people who should not have been g r s but you know what? they got just the same amount of respect that any other person got, right because they had volunteered, and they had done that as a service for the group. Well, see, i didn't look at it that way at home. You know, there were things that I made decisions on that. You know, my husband didn't really do so well with that, right? He was overwhelmed with the amount of information. I was brought up in corporate America. We made decisions like that, you know. So, But so we were in, um, in the market for a washer and dryer, and I come back home from Tradition 2 meeting. And my husband has those 25 different browser windows open, right? And he's like, okay, we've done all of this research and stuff like that. And my first question was, so what do you think? He had no clue because I never asked him what he thought, ever, right? So he's like, but what do you think? I said, I asked you first. <laughs> so he, but he went through all the pluses and minuses, and we came to a decision together. Would you believe our washer and dryer, 14 years later, it's still doing just fine? Do you know there are no other appliances that have, do, that have done so well that I made a decision on? It's God telling me, you know, this is the way to go. But, you know, asking another person what they think. You know, frequently we don't ask our kids what they think. And a lot of times they have such astute observations because they're not married to one or the other points of view. And, you know, if we don't listen to them or ask them for their opinion, they're not going to share it with us. (laughs) Mine, growing up in alcoholism, would not have shared if I had not asked Launching into my opinions about a controversy shows lack of humility. Wow. Okay, and I did that a lot at home. I need God's guidance. Listening also helps us discover the wisdom hidden in unlikely sources. When we all seek God's will, there can be no winning or losing, but only a journey to greater understanding. I love that phrase, only a journey to greater understanding. The concept of win-lose is based on ego. In a humble environment, there's no one with winning or losing. God is in charge, and it may or may not be the right time for an idea. And I think for me, that's what the steps and traditions and concepts have been, is a journey to humility. Because I didn't grow up being humble. I didn't grow up because I was, I was all, always trying to prove that I was enough. I was smart enough. I was good enough. I was enough that I was constantly comparing myself to other people and trying to be better than. And what went away with that is humility. Our children are not our possessions, but are on loan, for, uh, loan to us from God for love and guidance. I cannot own another person. My child or his or her actions are not a reflection on me, but the choices he or she makes so he or she can learn lessons of life. This is when it started for me to, to start um, letting go of my child as the child of God. My job was to make sure that he didn't like run into the road and kill himself. That was my job, right? The rest of it's up to God. And um, I'm a trusted servant entrusted this child to teach, him, uh, teach them right from wrong. I can't prevent their mistakes, and that helped so much. And from 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Alateen, it says, In a home practicing Tradition 2, there is no one person to whom the family turns in times of crisis. Every time a problem arises, it can be discussed with all the members keeping the traditions in mind. So Tradition 1 and Tradition 2, and Alex is going to pick up.
1: All right. Hi, I'm Alex. Hi. You guys are going to hear me speak for a few minutes, so... Buckle in. <clears throat> so I'm going to be talking about traditions three, four, five, and six. Tradition three. The relatives of alcoholics, when gathered together for mutual aid, may call themselves an Al-Anon family group, provided that as a group they have no other affiliations. The only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or a friend. This tradition taught me a couple of really important principles. Um, The first one, as I I mentioned earlier, is the principle of mutual aid and being able to apply that understanding of mutual aid to my relationships as an ability to kind of test how healthy that relationship is. What is the dynamic there? How is it? um, How do I feel? It helps me with my boundaries. It helps me with understanding. You know, do I feel tired when I talk to this person? Do I feel um, do I feel unfulfilled when I talk to this person? Do I feel unvaluable um, when I when I talk to this person? This idea of mutual aid helps me out with that. And I didn't know what it meant at first. I didn't know what mutual aid was. Um, I like the way that Alanon's Twelve Traditions um, talks about mutual aid. It's mutual aid, it says, gathered together for mutual aid means that each member is a part of a fellowship devoted to every other member. We address our needs. This is where we can contribute our experience, strength, and hope to each other. This singleness of focus is what keeps the fellowship strong. As individuals, we have total freedom to pursue whatever interests we choose. We cannot become involved as a group. So this understanding of what mutual aid meant in a group setting was sort of like a, I don't want to say a training ground, but it was a way for me to see it walked out so that then I could practice it outside of the rooms where other people didn't know the traditions, and I did, and I, I was you know, trying to operate based off of them. Um, just kind of a, a really relevant current example, I have a, um, a, a member of my, my family of choice who, after I moved, I found that there were ways that our relationship um, changed because we weren't in the same place anymore and we weren't able to engage with each other in the same way And one of the ways that we struggle is with mutual aid. Um, We do really well with companionship, but not so well with with mutual aid. And it's only because I have an understanding of these traditions and how they apply that I was able to see that. And before, I probably would have been like, well, something is wrong. Something is wrong, and that means that the whole friendship is bad. And that's not what it is at all. Um, Being able to understand what mutual aid is, that we in contributing our experience strength and hope to one another we're having kind of a, a communication mismatch uh, being able to see oh we're, we're kind of we're not able to relate on certain ways and so we're, we're lacking that kind of support and comfort there means there's ways to um, develop that there's ways to work on that there's ways to be able to, to discuss and move forward and talk about how can we do this to help one another the way that we would in a group conscience in the fellowship, We're able to have group consciences in this relationship rather than just, you know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. One of the other things that this tradition teaches me is uh, the only requirement for membership is that there be a problem of alcoholism in a relative or friend. This teaches me about belonging. Uh, One of the, the ideas that's repeated frequently throughout our literature when it refers to the traditions and the concepts is that belonging is a fundamental human need. Um, and a lot of the ways that the legacies help define um, or help help protect this safe space in the program talks about belonging. This program is about belonging. When I think about uh, my relationships, I have had a history of feeling very fragile in the relationships in my life. By relationships, I mean like literally anything, like friendships, you know, family, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I feel very fragile in the, in the relationships I have because I don't feel like I belong. Walk through the world feeling like I don't belong. Um, and when I behave as such, you know, the, my behavior reflects that. The other person's behavior, you know, is, is in accordance with that too. So if I get to, be, you know, understand that I belong in my relationships, I get to practice things like this understanding when I come into an Al-Anon meeting and I know that there isn't somebody who's going to go, hey, by the way, who is the alcoholic in your life um, that gives you the reason to be here? Like, I know nobody's going to do that. How is it that I know that? How is it that I feel comfortable with that? Do Am I able to take that um, faith in this program and that obedience to the unenforceable, that awareness and that trust in all of you? Sorry. Sorry. Um, Um, Am I able to take that trust that I have for all of you and am I able to place that in my personal relationships and one of the important parts is am I practicing that with the other person am I um, allowing them to show up and belong in the relationship not based on what they're doing not based on a particular requirement for membership but just because they're there because we get to participate in this we've chosen to participate in this together. Tradition 4 Tradition 4 is my favorite tradition Um, Tradition 4, each group should be autonomous Except in matters affecting another group Al-Anon or AA as a whole It's short and it's sweet But this, this changed everything for me um, as I mentioned earlier, I struggled a lot with boundaries. I really didn't know what boundaries were. I, I considered boundaries like a like a dirty word because I thought it meant like that's when you stop loving people is when you have a boundary. Um, having boundaries has opened me up to be able to love people in a more free way and in a far more healthy way. Um, so the way the the ways that that bridges that the idea of autonomy. Um, so uh, autonomy, uh, autonomy breaks down to auto and nomos. Um, that's the etymology of it. Auto is self, and nomos is government. So it, it literally means self-government. And uh, there's actually a reading from Pastor Recovery that talks about this. Um, okay. Autonomy refers to the right of self-government. Autos is self. Nomos is law. In this disease, we often learn ways of reacting that require no self-government at all. When a certain situation occurs, we think, say, or do what we always have. The button is pushed and the old tapes play. We act like automatons, machines that act mechanically, automatically. There is no thought, just routine action to whatever is going on. And so, this idea of autonomy required me to really dive into my uh, step four. Uh, this is one of those, there are, uh, we, we had the privilege of working. In our group that went through the concepts and the traditions, we also looked at laterally working through the step, tradition, and concept of each um, kind of layer, each number. And um, some of them, personally, I connected more, like connected the dots more, and some of them not so much. But um, the fourth connected really well, step four, tradition four, and concept four. In step four, I have to have an understanding of who I am. And what's going on in here, where, like what, ooh, so sorry, Um, (laughs) who I am before I'm able to bring that to anything else, before I'm able to bring that to a group, before I'm able to bring that to a relationship, before I'm able to understand where do I stop and someone else starts. So once I understand who I am in my inventory, I can then pay attention to what is it that I need and what is it that I can provide? Um, What is it that I – what are my interests? What are things that I'm willing to do? What are things that I'm not willing to do? And that required a lot of thought um, because I hadn't considered that before. I was just like, well, if someone else needs something, obviously I have to do it. And that's not always the case. I'm learning that when other people are disappointed because I don't meet their expectations, that's not my responsibility unless I contributed to them having those expectations. Uh, that was that was that blew my mind. I spent a long time thinking I needed to make amends for people being disappointed in me, and that's not necessarily the case. So, tradition four. Once I start paying attention to what is it. Who is it that I am? What can I do? What do I need? Uh, this also then when I when I when I take that's like the training wheels, and then when I take it out into the real world and I and I interact with another person, the other part of that is that I don't get to go reach over into and stir their pot. I have to understand that I stop at a certain point and be willing to allow the other person willing to allow, like other people are living their lives whether I allow it or not, but it's this illusion of control, right? So I I have to not try to mess with them and their business. Um, and usually if I'm focusing, if I'm focusing on my recovery, if I'm focusing on the things that I have come to understand are in my hula hoop, are my business, that act of self-governing rather than, it's not about like being like a, like a dictatorship against myself. It's not that, but being, being able to regulate myself, being able to pay attention to And be intentional about the things that I do and understand the things that I do, that's a full time job. If I'm doing that, I am not worried about other people because I don't have time to be worried about other people. There's a section, um, I don't remember exactly where it is, from Pastor Recovery that helped me a lot that said, the right of my fist ends at, no, the right of your fist ends at the tip of my nose. This particularly taught me what is it—so now that I understand what I can do and then what I can or can't do um, for like with someone else, what is it that I am able to tolerate from somebody else? Uh, this tradition taught me to not be used or abused by another in an interest of another's recovery. Um, that's a line from our detachment pamphlet. But this taught me what behavior I do and don't have to tolerate. Um, and— I really didn't have, I didn't have any way of understanding that. I mean, maybe sometimes it might seem silly, but I didn't know that other people weren't allowed to hurt me for no reason. You know, I I didn't know that. And so this idea that, no, I am, I stand on my own, and other people don't have the right to cause harm to me, just as I don't have the right to cause harm to them, was very important. Tradition five, where did it go? Tradition five, each Al-Anon family group has but one purpose, to help families of alcoholics. We do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves, by encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives, and by welcoming and giving comfort to families of alcoholics. Singleness of purpose was not something I was familiar with. I was used to like many, many, many different purposes and usually like going like halfway on each of them and like not, not really being able to center So there are a couple, and so when I first kind of delved into what this tradition looked like in my life, I didn't understand what it was supposed to mean. Um, So a little bit from Pastor Recovery, this is from page 175. Many of us were accustomed to blaming the alcoholic for all of our problems. Many of us spent years trying to get someone else well while becoming progressively sicker ourselves. Working the steps has the advantage of keeping us too busy to meddle with the alcoholic. Experience has shown that we actually help others best by taking care of ourselves first. And then um, farther down, it says, To give comfort, we have to know comfort. We learn the meaning of kindness and the value of nonjudgmental listening from those who gave it to us. Listening to people who have felt the same feelings and sometimes tried the same crazy things to cope with the insanity of alcoholism helps us to develop acceptance of ourselves as well as others. We help each other cope with the family disease of alcoholism, and in doing so, we usually help ourselves the most. Tradition five taught me about what it meant to have compassion, kindness, and understanding in my relationships. It taught me how to have, it taught me how to have compassion, kindness, and understanding for complete strangers, actually, and um, perhaps most importantly, for myself. I didn't know how to have those things for myself. This tradition has taught me to have gentleness in my relationships with myself, with others, um, and that... As if I can identify what my main purpose is, what my one purpose is, what I get to stick to, um, it helps guide me. I don't. I don't get as distracted as easily if I'm able to bring back. Hold on, this thing that I'm doing, this thing that I do. I'm doing where I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. How does it relate to my one purpose? And if it doesn't relate to my one one purpose. I, sometimes I can just leave it. <laughs> um, if I can, then I am able to sort through it with this awareness, with a height, with a greater awareness that it doesn't determine why my uh, value as a human being, it doesn't just determine how well I'm doing at my life. Um, I get to have a little bit of distance from that. Alanon gives me a little bit of a pause. And uh, my my home group is called the One Purpose Family Group, and it has taught me a lot about what does one purpose mean when we walk it out. And what it means is staying with these legacies, and when we do so, it feels healthy. When I stay within these guidelines in my life, when I practice them in my life, I don't feel lost most of the time. Um, Even if I don't necessarily know what's coming next, I'm connected with my higher power to the point that I know I can do the next right thing. This tradition tells me what is the next right thing. We do this by practicing the 12 steps of AA ourselves. Yes, absolutely. That's a given. Um, By encouraging and understanding our alcoholic relatives and by welcoming and giving comfort. Am I encouraging and understanding? Am I welcoming and do I give comfort? Those are things I get to ask myself every day. That's part of my daily inventory is, you know, in the ways that I interacted with people today and the ways that I treated people today, was I encouraging and understanding? Was I welcoming and willing to give comfort? Not every day. Sometimes I have a bad day. <laughs> you know. Um, usually there's, it's, it's, it's a spectrum of ways that I behave, but these are things that I get to focus on. These are things that if I work toward, you know, if I'm growing along spiritual lines, these are the spiritual lines that I know that I have the opportunity to grow toward because that's the kind of individual that I want to be able to show up as. Tradition six. Our family groups ought never endorse, finance, or lend our name to any outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary spiritual aim. Although a separate entity, we should always cooperate with Alcoholics Anonymous. This is my second favorite tradition. And um, when I first read it, I was like, yeah, 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 I'm a bunch of mumbo-jumbo. I don't know what that means. Um, I'm, <laughs> why would I relate to endorsing, financing, or lending my name? However, when I thought about it, I did indeed endorse, finance, and lend my name to a lot of different kinds of people in a lot of different kinds of ways. Um, The most obvious one was financial. I was able to identify that pretty quickly. I um, would spend money on other people just sort of like indiscriminately. Like I would just, I would lend people money, I would buy them things, um, but there were always strings attached. And so there were always resentments attached. There were always expectations attached. And I always did that because I was seeking from another person to give me approval for being good enough to be in that relationship with them. Um, I was seeking their approval on, I'm a good enough person, or I'm valuable. I always assumed there was something I was compensating for. And so I would think that if I paid for someone for something, then I had a little bit of leeway for the fact that I was inevitably going to be inadequate to them. So I I was walking around seeking for someone out there to tell me I'm okay. And that also involved when I uh, endorsed and let my name out. I I like to be the person that... um, I, I had a friend who was very, like... Very much like a butterfly, like they were always kind of flitting around, and and I really enjoyed that people would be able to come to me and go, hey, where is so and so, and I would know exactly where they were, what they were doing, where they were going next, and I was like, okay, and these are the things that I have set out for them to be doing today, and um, I I loved that role. I love to be people's keeper. I love to, um, and and it it gave me a sense of fulfillment. It gave me a sense of value to do so. Uh, in the process though, I always ended up feeling taken for granted because I was doing something that they didn't actually ask me to do. And, uh, I was still seeking validation from externally and it, and it never actually satisfied that part of me that wanted to feel like, okay, now I'm valuable. Now I'm okay. So what it, what was involved in this tradition actually for me for practicing it, um, I had to stop giving so many gifts, which was um, really hard to do. I had to stop paying for people. I had to stop lending money to people. I had to stop giving people so many gifts. I mean, like, of course, like Christmas birthdays. But um, I needed to scale back the amount that I was doing that and, and look at my intentions, to pay attention to my motivation. Uh, What was my motive in giving somebody this and paying for them for this and also when I I I stopped lending people money if they wanted if they needed money and I believed in what they needed it for I would just be like I'm giving this to you if they chose to pay it back okay but I wasn't holding that over them and I also needed to make sure that it was not causing me any kind of financial hardship um, because that was the responsible way of operating and that meant that I didn't have expectations about that I was giving freely and what what I didn't expect to happen is that now I've gotten to a point where I feel comfortable giving again, giving people gifts again. I um, just uh, earlier this year started, uh, got, got into a new relationship, and I'm able to like give gifts again, and there's a freedom that I have now in doing so um, where I don't feel any kind of expectation. And they might have their own issues about like, no, I feel like there's expectations now. I'm like, you're welcome to feel that way. But I don't have any. I'm giving these because I saw this thing. I thought of you. I thought you might like to have it. And that's it. That's completely it. I don't want any kind of, it's not an ego gratification thing at all. And that is such a gift because I hadn't experienced that before. I thought that if if I gave, it always had to mean something about me. Um, and the last part of, of this, that this, that I have, to remember is that when it comes to outside enterprise's other people's opinion of me, um, ego gratification in general—that's something I have to watch out for constantly, especially in my job when there are positions of authority and um, they're complimenting me or they're impressed by me. I care a little bit too much about what my boss thinks about me. There's there's an amount that's normal for someone to care about how their boss thinks about them. Um, I don't know. I don't know a lot of normal things, but I know that the reaction that I have when I get when I get a, a compliment from a supervisor—that euphoric feeling where I'm like, yes, this is basically like when I was three, my parents parent actually told me that I did a good job instead of telling me that I'm awful. You know, that feeling, I don't want to be behaving in my adult life out of that feeling, actually, um, because that puts my sense of self-worth and self-esteem in someone else's hands rather than in mine, uh, my connection with my higher power. In that moment, I tend to turn other people into my higher power and their opinion over their opinion of me is what I use to define myself. And that diverts me from my primary spiritual aim every time.
0: By the way, you all are um, welcome to get up and take a bathroom break. If you need to, we are going to keep going because we've got a full couple of hours. So Tradition 7 talks about every group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. And so, you know, a lot of the things that's that's discussed here is fully self-supporting financially. And I was like, (laughs) got that. I am the breadwinner. Don't have to worry about that, right? I am completely self-supporting. Well, here's the here's the reality of the situation. Emotionally, I was not self-supporting. I was not self-supporting spiritually. I would be lost if I didn't get an opportunity to talk to my son, or if I didn't get an opportunity to talk to my husband. I would. So this is the, not kidding. This is exactly what I used to do. I would drive home from work. I, you know, had a 45-minute drive, and so I would call uh, my husband. And I would start ranting and raving, right? So corporate America was a was a joke every day. So I would like rant and rave to my husband and tell him about how my day was and so and so did this and such and such. And, you know, here's what they said. And do you know how crazy this is? And my husband would like, you know, be the wise counsel. And then I would come home. I was talked out, right? I mean, I had had a 45-minute conversation. Never asked him once how he was doing, right? Um, and so I would come home, and I would pretty much, like, say, hey, honey, and then go back to the, to the back and spend time with my mom and with my child because I hadn't talked to them. I would not talk to my husband. And then I was, I was wondering why he was upset. He felt used. I don't understand why, right? Because I, was, I thought I was having a conversation. No, it was a one-sided conversation. So for me, uh, my first sponsor said, I want you to call me and not call your husband. I was like, she's trying to break me up. She's trying to break up my husband and I. She's trying to break up my marriage. No, And, and what she was trying to do is take this unhealthy obsession that I had and this, this unhealthy relationship I had where I would put him down because he wasn't earning and he wasn't responsible in a certain way. But at the same time, I would go to him and depend on him unhealthily um, to listen to me and give, him, give me guidance. And then after that, not have a thing to do with him when I came home. Right? So she was trying to break me of that habit. And what was interesting is after a couple of months, I think I happened to, like I wasn't calling my sponsor at the time, and I called him instead. And I, I picked up the pho- he picked up the phone and I said, Hey honey, it's me. How are you? How was your day? And I was quiet and I listened. So it it put a different spin on the relationship. It put a different Feel on the relationship because I actually cared how his day was, and actually listened to how his day was. We interacted about his day, and he would ask me, "How was your stuff?" And you know, I'd already you know talked to my sponsor or journaled about it or something like that. It was okay. It was just you know crazy corporate day, and that's it. So he did. He's never worked the traditions in his recovery. Doesn't matter. You know, it's like, it's, it depends on me. It's my responsibility. Nobody else has to work the traditions in order for us to be healthy. I have to work the traditions. Let it begin with me. So in Paths to Recovery, um, it says in pages 193 to 203, as in any family, there is more to support than just bringing home the paycheck. How does Paths to Recovery talk just to me, right? <laughs> I don't understand. There are dishes to be done, beds to be made. It is unhealthy for a group to let a few members do everything. The volunteers are likely to feel overwhelmed and underappreciated, while those not involved feel left out and discounted. Lois W. said, purse strings can become ropes that can choke us. It is human nature that a person who gives someone money may have expectations about how it is spent. And absolutely, whenever I wanted to, you know, whenever I lent money, I was scrutinizing every way that they, they spent money because whether they spent the money I lent them or not, I'd be like, well, if you have time to go out there and eat that kind of a meal, you could actually pay your bill. You know, I don't need to help you, right? Um, in my personal life, I need to be self-supporting socially, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically. I cannot depend on another person for my happiness, This was such a wake-up call for me because I was expecting outside contributions. I was expecting someone else to make me happy. I was expecting someone else to tell me I was okay, someone else to make me feel okay, that I was enough. And that is not, not necessary. It comes from here. My moods and attitudes are something only I can control. No one else can control me unless I give them the power to do so. Unless I rent them space in my head, they can't get in it. Wow, that was mind-blowing to me. Tradition 8 talks about Al-Anon 12-step work should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. I need no technical training to do the next right loving thing, right? I don't need to be an expert. I don't need to be a Ph.D. in psychology to be able to help another person. I don't need that, um, And that's what heals the family relationships. We don't need to have some kind of a qualification in order for us to do our job in a family. My job is to keep it simple and based in Al-Anon principles. And so my job is to to, to act as love in action. And I think more and more I'm realizing the longer I stay in recovery, the longer there's only one thing that's important, and that's love. There's not anything more than that. All I need to do is love. All I need to express is love. All I need to share is love. And am I operating from love? I can practice the principle of rotation of service. Well, I didn't rotate any service because I was better than anybody else, right? So I didn't rotate service. If someone is willing or a- and able to take on a task that I currently perform, this spiritual principle teaches me to let go and let God. And once the responsibility is transferred, I must be quiet and let the next trusted servant work without interference. Oh, my gosh. This was a huge, tall order. Because this meant that if I asked my husband to do something that I'm pretty good at doing, um, I needed to let him do it to the best of his abilities. You know, and, and I think that what helped me a lot is when I was struggling with service, My service sponsor, I would frequently call my service sponsor and say, do you know what, you know, so-and-so said such-and-such. Oh, my God, that's the wrong thing to do. And they said, you know what, honey, you're not going to break (laughs) Al-Anon. Oh, my gosh. Okay. So I took that into my family, and I said, you know what, I'm not going to break love, but I need to just act as a responsible person. Tradition 9 says, our groups, as such, ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. This is yet another reminder for me from God that says, you're not the queen. We're not an organization. You're not at the top of it. Paths to Recovery says, group members are equals, and no one person is viewed as an executive or in charge. Wait a minute. I thought in my family I was the executive and I was the one in charge because I brought the money. And, you know, everybody else was scared of me, so I figured that was, that was how it was supposed to be. But this tradition taught me different. And, you know, whenever I was unsure of how this was supposed to work in my family, I would always look at the Al-Anon family groups and see how that works because I loved how there was nobody in charge and we would get, come together and we would start the meeting on time and if, if the person that was supposed to bring the topic was not there, then somebody else will, will pick it up and, and we will have a meeting. Wow, if I were to look at that in my family, see, I expected perfection in my family. I think that was the big issue. Because I grew up with such chaos, I expected perfection in my family and ev- at every step of the way. And if I didn't have perfection, you know, we weren't going to break the family. So it says, I find that this tradition is very helpful at home. At first, I thought that things should be structured and that we always do specific jobs. But I learned that this isn't true. I also learned that I'm not in charge of determining what jobs others have. I may want my husband to be in charge of washing the dishes, but he may decide to run the sweeper. I had to learn that he lives here, too. And we are equals. I can ask another person if he or she should take a certain responsibility, but that doesn't mean that they must do it. And you know what, what happened was, and we will talk about this in Concepts, but one of the things that happened when Alex came home from um, from college, when my mom was sick, is we were stepping each uh, on each other's toes all the time. What we realized is when we sat down and we were doing tr- uh, Concept 11, and when we sat down and we were actually working through this, we realized that he loves to put the laundry in, in the washer and then take it to put in the dryer, but hates folding. When the dryer is done, I love folding because the, the clothes are warm and smell good, right? But I can't stand putting them in the washer because they sink. So there were things that we could do that we could work together in harmony so that we weren't saying, oh, your job is laundry and the person is feeling, uh, you know, feeling drudgery. Same thing, um, you know, he loves to cook. I can't stand cooking. So my husband and I are having to figure out who, who cooks what when, since he's moved to Portland. But he hates doing dishes. And I love doing dishes because, you know, you start with dirty dishes and they, clean, they end up clean at the end of it. So I love that he can't stand it. So we were able to do those things. He was able to cook. I was able to clean the dishes, right? So that helps so much because we're working together and neither one of us is feeling overwhelmed. And in my childhood, my family, our family roles were so confused and they changed without rhyme or reason because, you know, mom or dad decided it. And so it's, you know, I think the family rituals and routines were all so so um, crazy, and they were cha- uh, not structured, and um, communication was not rational. That's one of the reasons that I love Al-Anon service is because we are talking about communication, and we're saying everybody starts from the same amount of information. We never had the same amount of information. We, you know, some people had the information. Other people were just, you know, if you ask a question, it's like, shut up. No, you can't ask this question, right? Or, no, you, you don't need to know. This is, this is all the information we're going to share with you. And so the, the, the decisions that were made were lopsided. And in Al-Anon, I've loved that in service, that everybody starts from the same amount of information. Tradition 10, the al family groups have no opinion on outside issues, hence our name ought never be drawn into public controversy. From past to recovery, at various times in my life, I have played three distinct roles. I have played victim, I have played villain, and I have played rescuer. Because Al-Anon has no opinions on outside issues, I feel free to explore my feelings about any, con- any of the controversial subjects that have a- affected me, no matter what roles I've played in them. I try to limit my sharing so I don't monopolize our time, and I save majority of my self-exploration for conversations with my sponsor. When I, using Al-Anon to try to change other people, um, Um, ask whether, you know, whether they're inside or outside the program, uh, when I'm looking at that, then I need to remember my sponsor's words. That's too bad about them, but how do you feel? Right? So for me, this is very important that I take responsibility for how I feel. I take responsibility for what is within my hula hoop, right? Everything outside of my hula hoop is an outside issue, right? Everything. And, um, (sighs) You know, I think one of the things that my um, current sponsor talks about, and I think it's in Tradition 6, she says, you know, whenever I think about someone and I'm about to, like, you know, say something or take action or something like that and they're related to me, instead of saying my whatever, right, relationship, I say the proper name. So instead of saying my son, if I said Alex... Then it could be any other Alex out there that helps me figure out what are the things that I am attaching to a person by saying my somebody, right? If, if I said Gary instead of my husband, then I have fewer expectations of him because he could be any other Gary. So I, that allows me to really free myself from... All the things that go on in my head that are expectations and how I've tied them to me. Whenever I say my, then I've tied them to me somehow. Tradition 10 makes me think of other important principles in Al-Anon program towards which we strive, such as focus and unity. Focus and unity, both of which promote recovery, are the rewards of practicing Tradition 10.
1: Tradition 11, our public, re- our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, and TV. We need guard with special care, the anonymity of all AA members. And I want to um, open this one with a reading from Courage to Change. Um, it's on December 8th. Nope, it's not. It's on the de- December 9th. When I reflect on Tradition 11, in, in which Al-Anon's public relations policy is described as being based on attraction rather than promotion, I take a fairly personal approach. What this tradition says to me is that my first responsibility in Al-Anon is to learn to keep the focus on myself and to do my level best to live this program one day at a time. If I am not walking the walk, there is little point in talking the talk, that is, if I am not demonstrating recovery, for, recovery in my life to the best of my ability, then talking about the program may be nothing more than a substitute for living it. In this regard, I find that I am very likely to feel most compelled to urge others to attend Al-Anon when I am most in need of a meeting myself. Today's reminding, reminder, before I start telling people about Al-Anon, I might consider posing this question to myself. Did they ask, the quote, Example is not the main thing in influencing others. It is the only thing. From uh, Albert Schweitzer... Um, this tradition was particularly hard for me to wrap my head around because I wanted to fix so many people. And the thing is, I found so many people affected by alcoholism and I found the solution. So, like, listen, if if they fell and skinned their knee, I would give them a Band-Aid. You know, why would I not um, uh, drive them to a meeting when they didn't ask for it? And what I ended up finding was that it was a substitute for me working my program because it was yet another example of me not minding my business, of me wanting to change the way that others were. I had a very hard time with accepting the idea that people might not come to recovery. There might, there might be people who have been affected by alcoholism who, for whom Al-Anon is not their answer. And I, I get to be okay with that. I get to um, not think that somebody's less than. I would. I, I had a habit of being like, okay, yeah, but like they would be better if they did come to the program, though. And and uh, my grandmother actually taught me this this lesson. She, um, because she had her spiritual path and and she came to a couple meetings, but but anon was not was not her thing and. I had to learn to love her exactly where she was and understand that she's been affected by the disease of alcoholism and she has found ways of healing and and coping that, you know, bring her to be the person that she was. And it wasn't my business to force my solution onto her, that, that we had different experiences. We had different experiences, different needs, different ways that we related. There, it's not that my way was the right way and her way was the wrong way. There wasn't a right, right and wrong, wrong way. There were just different ways that we were operating. Um, and that when I, get, when I get drawn to the idea of other people should do things my way, that I'm usually not focusing on my recovery at that point. Um, <clears throat> And the idea of personal anonymity and uh, guarding with special care the anonymity of all IA members, personal anonymity teaches me that I am not, I mean, obviously, I'm not the Al-Anon spokesperson, but when it comes to my personal life, I get to practice anonymity as humility. Um, and this really ties into Tradition 12 um, a lot. But from Pastor Recovery, there's an excerpt that, that, that kind of encapsulates this for me. Remember, we are a fellowship of equals. Equality allows the most long-term, service-oriented person among us to go to a meeting and ask for help. Equality keeps us humble enough to continue to be teachable and focus on our personal recovery. Traditional 11 teaches us to lead by example. Um, And there's another part, actually, on 227 that says, Defining the difference between attraction and promotion is difficult. If a family member feels safe and wants what we have, that's attraction. As we begin with peace and serenity in our own lives, we may become eager to share the program with others family, friends, the public. The problem is that those who need it don't always want it. We can share our experience, strength, and hope with them and be a good example of Al-Anon recovery by practicing its principles in all our affairs. And that last sentence about, um, we get to share our experience, strength, and hope with them and be a good example of Al-Anon recovery um, by practicing its principles, this ties the two of these together. This idea that um, I don't get to tell other people how they live their lives, I get to practice my own recovery and I get to uh, behave with humility. Um, and to and to try to to experience and embody humility to the best of my understanding by just minding my business. A lot of these a lot of these traditions for me boil down to minding my business, and that's two parts: that's paying attention to what my business is, and pay, and not paying attention to what other people's business is. And so, what's mine is practicing these principles to the best of my ability. And um and in doing so, I get to be a resource for others in my life. I've had a couple people. I thought, I thought with this tradition that I was going to have hordes of people coming to me and going, you are so much, you are so serene, you are so much better than you used to be. Tell us, how is it that you have had this, this magical transformation? I was going to be, I'm going to be like, be seated, I will tell you, you know. <laughs> no, nothing of the sort happened. Um, I had a couple people be like, you're less nuts than you used to be. Um, but that was kind of the extent of it. But what did happen is I was able to um, nurture the relationships I had in my life. And even if I wasn't, even if folks weren't coming and being like, hmm, do I, do, can I come to this program of Al-Anon that you come to? Um, I was able to pass along principles, principles of this program that I was practicing. I was able to practice these as I practice the traditions in my relationships, in my family. And, um, I there changes happen you know there's in some of our literature talks about in the equation of a plus b equals c if i'm a the other person is b and the result is c even if b never changes if a changes c is inevitably going to change so what that means is if i live this program if i practice these principles in my relationship c inevitably changes even if b never does and uh that helps me to focus on myself and to make sure that you know my responsibility is to practice this program to the best to the best of my ability Tradition 12, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles above personalities. Anonymity did not make sense to me in the context of my personal life for a while. Um, Anonymity, I was just sort of like, we don't say our last names. I don't, and I don't tell the people that, you know, that people are in the program. I don't know how I can apply this to my personal life and then I had one year where my higher power just kept chucking humility at me over and over and over again. That was my, one of my big lessons that year was about humility. And I learned the relationship of anonymity practiced in my, in my personal life. Anonymity in general is about humility, but anonymity, when I practice it in my personal life, is a lot about humility. Um, anonymity means that it is not about, it is not about my performance it's not about um, the things that I attach to my name, that I attach to my personhood. It's not about my job, it's not about where I live, it's not about what I do, it's not about um, all these like accolades and accomplishments that I accumulated because maybe that would help me have a form of self-worth. It's not about any of those. Uh, it's just about who am I as a person. When I show up to a meeting and I, I don't say my last name, my title, anything like that. If I just show up to a meeting and I say, hi, my name is Alex, that person that I bring is that the person that I bring to my relationships outside of these these rooms, or do I attach to it this idea of self importance? Um, and does that does that serve me at all? Does it really? Most of the time, I thought I thought maybe it did, but most of the time when I looked at, it, I was like, not really, because what's happening there is I'm being inauthentic uh, when I when I interact with other people. I'm not I'm not bringing my myself, my vulnerable self, because that's hard. It's hard to be vulnerable with other people. I wasn't bringing my vulnerable self. To other people and going, hi, this is who I am. I was I was covering it with this this protective shell of of ways that I, I identified myself in other way in you know outside of that personhood, and a lot of times that pushed other people away, and in in it, practicing practicing anonymity meant that I understood I was on a completely equal playing field with everybody else. There was no ladder. I assumed everything was a ladder. Everybody was higher or lower than me. Everybody was either on a pedestal or in a pit. There was no in between. And anonymity means that, no, actually, I'm one of many. I'm not special. It it, it ended my terminal uniqueness. Well, I still struggle with my terminal uniqueness, but, um, you know, it it is the antidote for it. I have to remember sometimes I'm like, I am the only person who feels this way. I'm the only one who's had this experience. And then be like, "Mm, no, there's so many people in the world. There's so many people. And there's so many people who have been here before. There is no way. <laughs> there is simply no way. And understanding that I am on an equal playing field with every other person gives me permission to be human. It gives me permission to be imperfect. It means that I can allow others to be human and to be imperfect. And to know that um, it's something that, that has cropped up in our home group a few times over, over the last few months is uh, the idea that imperfect people are more lovable. And um, I have to remember that. That, like, I, I am imperfect, and that's, that's like, a good thing. And other people are imperfect, and, like, that's a good thing. I wouldn't want somebody else to be perfect. And intimacy means I don't have to be perfect, and other people don't either. And it's the spiritual foundation of all our traditions. If I'm practicing these traditions, that humility is the base. It is the foundation that all of them operate off of. It's not, like, an optional thing that I get to throw on top. You know, no, that humility is absolutely essential. And placing principles above personalities um, Helps me with that. Placing principles above personalities means I don't get to write people off so easily by just being like, "Eh, I didn't like what they said. You know, placing principles above personalities contributes to the intentionality with which I view my relationships and whether or not I am making my decisions based on um, the likes and dislikes that tend to change with the wind or if it's understanding what is it that we uh, contribute to each other's lives. What is it that... What is? Where is it that we relate? Where is it that we are the same? Where is it that we are different? What is fundamental about this? So there's the traditions. Now the fun part, we're going to move on to the concepts.
0: So traditions talk to me about... So, so steps, for example, were about learning about myself. Learning about myself, developing a relationship with my higher power... And traditions were about going out and practicing that with one other person at a time. And concepts come into play when I'm working in a group. And so there, I'm really looking at you know one person may be acting in one way another person may be acting in a different way and i don't know if y'all have felt like that in a in a group a lot of the times you know one person will push my buttons of one character defect and another person will push completely different buttons of the character defect pretty soon all i'm doing is acting out of my character defects and so in concepts that's that's where we're looking at it as, as, a, as a group when we're working with the family or working with people at work, for example. So concept one talks about the ultimate responsibility and authority for the Al-Anon World Service belongs to the Al-Anon groups. So this is where our little group that we met started meeting um, on Zoom in, during the pandemic we actually had to sort of personalize it to us. So each one of those concepts, we sort of said, all right, this is how I understand it. So personalizing that, I understand it as... I am responsible for myself. So this concept is all about personal responsibility because I just came off of traditions where I was starting to learn how to how to be humble, how to practice anonymity, how to practice you know um, you know staying within my hula hoop. So now I am responsible for myself, and this is personal responsibility. So. Um, Here, I'm uh, looking at, in concept one, how Al-Anon works says, we realize we are ultimately responsible for our own serenity and our own happiness, responsible for taking care of ourselves physically, emotionally, and spiritually. So this is for, you know, this is, I am responsible for myself. This is a foundation for the rest of the concepts to build on top of. So um, in the language of our literature, this concept is the only one about ultimate responsibility and authority. The everything else talks about delegated responsibility. So this is the only one about ultimate responsibility. So Pastor Recovery says, I am responsible for my life. I can't expect others to do for me what I can do for myself, nor do I assume responsibility for them. I have responsibility for my life and can choose when to welcome others into it. We share together, work together, and grow individually. Oh, we grow individually. See, I used to have all these expectations that if I am in a work group, for example, we share together, we work together, and we grow together. And so I would then look at other people and say, well, why are they not growing good enough? You know? And and so I was always judging, right? Judgment comes very naturally to me. So um, this is where... I can't sit on the sidelines and pout and say, oh, so-and-so is not doing their part. So-and-so is not growing the way that they need to grow. This is about me bringing my best personal responsibility. This is my my most personal responsibility that I can bring. So when we talked about, and Alex talked about working the steps, traditions, and concepts horizontally, I'll touch on that a little bit. So step one is talking about powerlessness. So like in my group, I'm, I'm in my, on my own And on my own, I'm powerless, and I cannot manage my life. Tradition one is about unity. And so for continued access to power and unmanageability, I must grow in the we process. And concept one is about personal responsibility. And so now that I'm in a a relationship to be healthy in a we relationship, I can learn to participate in group efforts simply for the joy of service and for more spiritual growth. One of the examples from I think reaching for personal freedom was that if I if there's supposed to be a snowstorm step 1 says I am powerless over the snowstorm tradition 1 says that the unity of my office is very important and if for the unity of my office if I'm supposed to go into work then concept 1 says that I need to either leave early or put chains on the tires or whatever it is in order for me to be responsible so that I can contribute to the unity of my workplace. So it's, it's, that's how those steps, traditions, and concepts build up on each other. Concept two, the Alanon family groups have delegated complete administrative and operational authority to their conference and service arms. So personalizing that says the spiritual foundation of my, uh, my participation is group conscience. And how is that group conscience achieved? Delegation of duty, mutual trust, communication, accountability, and shared responsibility. So this concept is about interdependence. I started with personal responsibility. I had to take responsibility for myself. This was about interdependence. I can't do it all on my own. All of this, if we are working together, we achieve together, um, and so we have to depend on each other. I have to put my trust in you. If we are working together in a group, I have to put my trust in you. I have to allow you to do or not do the job that you've been assigned. So how receptive am I to other people's gifts? Do I look at other people and say, you know what, this person has this gift. I, think they, I bet they would do this very well. I don't have to have my ego tied into that and say, no, 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 I should be doing this thing. Because ultimately what's important is that we, you know, we achieve the result that we're looking to achieve together. This concept is about interdependence, which involves personal responsibility for my task, and also delegation, which involves detachment with what and how the delegated task is being done. Do I try to create a mini me when I delegate a task? (laughs) Guilty of that. So this is where, you know, I have to also listen to other people in their minority voice because sometimes they may be talking about something that God is saying through them because God tried to tell me in my head and I just didn't listen, right? So sometimes God is telling it through somebody else so that I need to listen because that may be the way that God gets the message to me. Reaching for personal freedom says, I used to think the way my husband was reflected on me. I can only be responsible for me and accountable for me. I have to keep learning how to let go of what does not belong to me and make better decisions. Am I overly responsible for how someone is feeling? Do I feel overly responsible for someone else's survival? A lot of the times I would feel overly responsible for the survival of my husband. He was a fully formed adult, believe it or not, before I met him right? It's like all of a sudden when I met him and we had a baby together, he became a baby? I don't understand, right? He, he was always an adult and he will still be an adult. He can be allowed to face the consequences of his action and it's not punitive. It's not punishing. It's out of love. It's out of love that I'm, I'm asking him to be an adult that he always was. So here when I do step two, tradition two, and concept two, Step two gives me hope, because that's where I realize that I'm not alone. There is a higher power that's going to be helping me, so that I can be open to His helper showing me right how to how to how to handle whatever situations I have. Tradition two is about faith in a relationship that higher power is in charge. We are all trusted servants. The higher power is in charge. And concept two is about accountability. That in a group. I am not alone. I don't have to do everything myself. I can rely on people and I can delegate and I keep, keep an open dialogue because God works and talks through other people. So I start by trusting God in step two. I start by trusting myself in a relationship in uh, tradition two. And I start, uh, I start by trusting others in concept two. So I live in the care of God in the group conscience. There is a God and he lives in you. Therefore, I can trust myself and others. See, the thing is insanity before I came into Al-Anon was thinking that I'm all alone, that I need to protect and defend myself, that I have no one. It's the terminal uniqueness that Alex was talking about. Sanity for me is allowing a loving God to be the authority in the room, that God is going to give us all growth opportunities. By the way, the way that 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 showed up for me was um, Alex and I did these, you know, we split up what exactly we were going to do. And uh, I did my part before I left for Dallas back on Monday and allowed Alex to do his part because you know what? It was going to be perfect the way it came out. And if he did it, you know, Tuesday, if he did it yesterday, whatever, right, it didn't matter. It would get done. Right? So to me, it's that I take responsibility for my part and trust God that it's going to be great because I know Alex's program and I know God. Thank you.
1: All right. Concept three. Concept three. The right of decision makes effective leadership possible. Um, I want to read a little bit from Reaching for Personal Freedom about this. I highly rec- recommend Reaching for Personal Freedom for any concept work. It like it does not pull punches. Um, I went through Reaching for Personal Freedom with mine, and, and that was what drilled into my head. Things are better when we involve other people. Concept three is about mutual trust. Developing mutual trust in, in one another offers us the dignity and freedom that we all deserve. We discover that we do indeed have the right to think for ourselves and make appropriate decisions for our lives. We can share the decision-making process with others when appropriate. Taking responsibility for our own lives gives us the inner, inner strength to reach out to others for possible solutions or added assistance. Placing our faith in a power greater than ourselves helped, helps us to trust the outcome of the decisions we make. In learning to trust these decisions, we learn to extend that same trust to others. <clears throat> Y'all hear where it says in there that like things are better when we involve other people? <laughs> I didn't like that. I didn't like that any time that I read it. But the right of decision um, and effective leadership were not really... Those, those did not live together in harmony in, in when I was growing up in alcoholism. The way that the right of decision and leadership looked was um, I was res- overly responsible. I wanted to be overly responsible for things, but I didn't have the right to make any decisions. I was a child, but I still felt responsible for everything. I didn't know what leadership meant. Um, I thought that leadership equaled uh, somebody being uh, like an authoritarian with just being able to be judge, jury, and executioner. I thought that's what leadership was. Um, the right of decision, I thought, was given to the most powerful person in the room, which was usually the loudest person in the room. So this idea of mutual trust... Oh. <laughs> um, as I, see, I thought she was telling me I was doing something wrong there. That's what, um, yeah, Keep coming back. Uh, <laughs> Um, This idea of mutual trust was not something I thought was essential in relationships. I was just sort of like, "Mm, I don't have to trust them that much, though. Like, is that really a requirement? It was a requirement for me to be able to fully participate as a person in this world. For me to be able to fully participate in my workplace, my classroom, my, um, you know, my, my friendships, my family. It was required that I be able to trust others. And so when it says developing mutual trust in one another offers us the dignity and freedom that we all deserve, I can't really fight that, you know? Like, I guess I deserve also dignity and freedom, and others do too. So I have to do the mutual trust thing. And that uh, I do indeed have the right to think for myself. And make appropriate decisions for my life, so the way that um, this lack of a right to, uh, right of decision as I was growing up affected me as an adult was that I did not know that I had the right to think for myself, I did not know that I had that I could make appropriate decisions for my life, and this made it very difficult for me to be um, be able to be independent and not codependent on, on another individual because I thought that I needed somebody else to validate my decisions, my, my thought processes, my decisions about my life. I, I w- very rarely was able to be like, okay, I have determined my own need and I'm able to address it it was always like I, I would think about something and then I'd be like, what do you think about that? You know, I, I would ask everybody in my life. I would ask everybody what they thought about my decision. And then I would try to, like, compile all this data and try to find, like, a, a good medium as if everybody else's opinion was far more reasonable and valid than mine was. And so this idea that I get to have a right of decision because I get to have leadership in my own life um, was very freeing, but it was very scary because I didn't know. And I was like, well, I don't trust my own decision making. I haven't made very good decisions in the past. I don't think I trust my decision making very much. And so that's why when it says placing our faith in a power greater than ourselves helps us to trust the outcome of the decisions that we make. That was key. It required that my faith in my higher power be absolutely rock solid. My trust in others is directly reliant upon my trust in my higher power. Because if I'm not trusting my higher power, people are imperfect. People will make mistakes. People will sometimes not meet my expectations. Sometimes because my expectations are unrealistic. Sometimes I won't meet my expectations because I'm, I'm a person and I'm, I'm imperfect. So if I were to think, um, okay, I'm only going to trust that thing, trust others when I know that things are going to come out exactly the way that I want them to be, I would never trust anybody else. But what I have to trust is that my higher power knows better than I do. I have to trust that my higher power is taking care of things even if another person is not taking care of things the way that I want them to be. So that allows me to open up to the right of, to, the right of decision and um, and be willing to allow others to have the right of decision because they should experience that too. That's that's what trust is. If I'm trust, trusting my higher power, then that means that I'm trusting other people as well with that right of decision um, because otherwise I'm just thinking that I should do everything on my own and that doesn't usually work out very well. Concept four, participation is the key to harmony. This one's short and sweet. I think a lot of us like concept four. Concept four for me is one of those that really, really builds on step four and tradition four. So step four, I learn... Who am I? What do I have? What's going on in here? What, like, getting, like, even a little bit of clarity. Tradition four teaches me, okay, so now that I know that, what do I bring? What do I not bring? What do I need? Where do I stop And when the person starts? What am I able to, to, to contribute? Concept four puts that into practice. What do I get to participate in? Because I don't get to participate in a conscientious, in a, in really a, a full and involved way, in a harmonious way, if I don't know what I'm bringing. Um, If I don't know what it is that I'm seeking and I don't know what it is that I'm bringing So once I know those things I get to participate in a lot of things Turns out I get to participate in everything in life if I want to If I know those things I get to participate in uh, My life, I get to participate in my relationship with my higher power I get to contribute uh, participate in my relationship with other people I get to participate in um, My workplace, I get to participate as a member of this fellowship as a uh, person in the world I get to do that and I get to do it with some comfort and security because I understand who I am and what I do or don't need to tolerate from, from other people because of the work that I've done in step four and tradition four. Understanding that harmony is a goal, um, it is something that I get, to, I get to contribute to and that it's something that I'm, I'm learning to become more comfortable with um, was also really important because I'm, I wasn't used to harmony. That was not what I was raised on, harmony. Um, and so sometimes harmony is a little, it's a little uncomfortable for me. Um, I'm finding sometimes I, when I experience harmony, I'm always waiting for the other shoe to drop. And a lot of times now, if I'm practicing these principles, if I'm practicing these traditions and concepts, there might not be another shoe that drops. Things aren't always necessarily going to be, you know, there's highs and lows, things come and go. But if I'm not placing my well-being reliant upon whatever I'm participating in and on things remaining like totally cool all the time then there isn't necessarily a shoe that drops. Um, when I worked on this, uh, the, the steps tradition concept in, in this group, I worked with uh, another person who was a musician, and I, uh, I, I played piano for most of my life. And so we looked at it in the context of a symphony and harmony in music, and so harmony does not always mean that it's going to be, you know, this like super, uh, you know, high climactic sort of sound, this crescendo. It's not about that. But harmony means that we are able to come and go and ebb and flow with one another. And also, it's very tangible when there's disharmony. We understand what it means when we strike a chord and it's wrong, you know, and we hear it, we're just like, oh, I don't, I don't know what that was, but it was, not, it was not right. You know, I have a similar feeling when I can experience what disharmony is um, in the things that I participate in. And, um, um, let me see. Let me see. I also get to choose what I don't participate in. And I get to choose, uh, sometimes I can identify the train that's on fire before I get onto it. And I go, you know what? Hmm. Maybe not today. Maybe I'm just going to let this one go. Maybe I'm going to catch the next elevator, actually. Um, And and that is a freedom that I have today. And that has saved me so much trouble, having that awareness that I don't have to participate in everything. And that I get to fully participate in the things that I do. This also talks about the idea of belonging. Participation is belonging. Um, It's a deep spiritual need. That's from Pastor Recovery, page 270. Belonging is a deep spiritual need. Um, And just some questions that I ask myself about this, this principle is, do I start with the assumption of separateness? Am I walking around thinking that I am separate from others, or do I walk around believing that I am a part of? Do I ask, listen, and allow choices? As I participate, do I, do I consider that others are participating in probably a different way, and that the way that they are participating is just as valuable, that they bring just as much, and that I get to learn things that I don't know otherwise? Do I believe in the value of my participation? Do I believe that I am a worthy member of whatever I'm participating in, enough to be able to share that with others? If I don't think I'm worthy fundamentally, I don't want to participate in things because I don't think that I have enough to contribute. Do I seek validation or am I, am I uh, self-supporting in the ways that I see myself and what I bring to the things that I participate in? And just a quick quote quote on that from Reaching for Personal Freedom. Participation gives us the courage to speak when appropriate, the maturity to be silent when needed, and the detachment to listen to other points of view without judgment. That is something that I frequently revisit because that is a goal. (laughs) It is not something I achieve every day, and so that is a goal to work toward. The courage to speak when appropriate, the maturity to be silent when needed, and the detachment to listen to other points of view without judgment. That's something I strive for every day. Concept five, this is one of my favorite concepts, if not the if not my very favorite concept. The rights of appeal and petition protect minorities and ensure that they be heard. So when I first read that, I was like, what? What do you mean appeal and petition? Like, why is that relevant to me at all? Um, and I was like, minorities, like, like I mean, like, like, I'm, like, I'm a minority. I mean, like, is that what they mean? No, it's uh, in group consciences. When, I, when I, there is an opinion, a minority opinion, we hear them out. And that was something that I had like picked up on in experience, but I didn't necessarily connect to the concept early on because I didn't really recognize what this concept was saying. But it was something that I knew that I felt heard. I knew that if I had an opinion that was different from the majority, I still had the right to say so. I still had the right to express that and to be heard. Um, and this, this concept... In our in our workshopping, we we had personalized versions of these concepts, and one of them, or the one for concept five, was the rights of petition, epi- 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 the rights of petition, minority opinion, and appeal, which is consideration, promote unity and respect. It's about being inclusive. Unity and respect means that I am a valued member of the group conscience, whatever group conscience that is, whatever friendship, family, whatever. Um, that group conscience, I am a valued member, even if I have a minority opinion. Good cool I have the right to express that I have the right to be heard I also then have a responsibility to let go of the outcome Um, I don't get to express my minority opinion and then you know We give it the consideration that any opinion is being given and then it it turns out to not go the way that I want it to be. And then I'm huffy and I'm resentful. And I'm like, well, it should have gone my way. That's not me participating with harmony in my relationships. Um, I get to express it and trust that my higher power is being expressed through the group group conscience of that relationship. This is where all of these traditions and concepts tie into one another over and over and over again. There is but one authority loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. In, In my relationships, in that group conscience, I have to trust that my higher power is ex- expressing himself in that group conscience. And in doing so, when I'm, when I'm voicing my minority opinion and we discuss it and then I let go of it, that's my step three. I am, I am turning my will in my life over to the care of God. In that moment, I'm turning my will over to the higher power that's expressing himself through our group conscience. And in doing so, it's sort of like, all right, I things are going to turn out exactly the way that they need to turn out. But I am worthy of being heard. This also... Um, in viewing others, this allows me to understand differences of opinion. That there's nothing wrong with having differences of opinion. That if someone else has a different opinion than I do, it doesn't mean that I'm wrong. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean that they think that I'm wrong. It just means we think different things. And that is okay that is okay. Every day, you know, I come to Al-Anon meetings and I probably have very different opinions from the other Al-Anon members. And, you know, when we express it in our our service structures, there are lots, there's lots of deliberation. And I remember early on when I was in service, I got kind of, um, I was very impatient with how long uh, group conscious meetings would take and district meetings would take and assemblies would take. And I'd be like, why do we have to hear everybody? You know, (laughs) like, why do we have to talk about everything? And as time went on, that became more and more valuable to me. There's no other place that I have known that has that level of discussion where everybody gets heard. And it's so important here to know that everybody is valuable and everybody gets heard. And I would like to practice that because that's what keeps our service structures a safe place. Concept six, the conference acknowledges the primary administrative responsibility of the trustees. Our personalized version of this was shared responsibility and shared leadership help make balance and effectiveness possible. This concept I needed to chew on a little bit because when I first read it, I didn't really relate to it that much. um, And I didn't even necessarily relate to the readings about it. But what this is allowing me to understand is differences in responsibility, Um, differences in how I perceive uh, my responsibility, others' responsibility. This This is kind of in the principle of delegation. The conference and the trustees, in order for me to understand the conference and the trustees, I was like, okay, so let me get, kind of get an overall understanding of the service structure. Uh, the conference deals with, uh, this has to do with Concept 7, sorry to kind of like bump into Concept 7, but um, it talks about like the board of trustees and, and um, the rights of the conference are traditional. Yeah. Trustees administrative conference traditional. These are two different things. And in my life, I get to recognize what my, uh, what my focus is. Is my focus in that moment about, you know, things that have to do with traditional things? Is it about administrative? And, and how am I viewing other, others' responsibilities? How do I view those in my life? In what ways do I trust the other people in my life in different contexts? Am I willing to share in that way? And that's why the idea of shared responsibility and shared leadership help make balance and effectiveness possible. I practice this a lot in my family um, the understanding that this family won't function um, as well as it could, as well it, as, it, as it really can be to flourish and grow without shared leadership and shared responsibility. It simply won't. This this concept was really where I hit that wall of like things are better when, when I involve other people. Things are better when I involve other people. This is where it kind of came to a head is – There is a cap on the amount of growth and health, like healthiness and, you know, the amount that I can get out of a relationship and other people can and out of my family, the safety that I can feel there, the belonging that I can feel there, the amount that we can participate. There is a cap on that if I'm unwilling to share. If I'm unwilling to share my responsibility, share myself, share leadership, we have to be able to trust one another in order for us to be able to get, get anywhere past a certain level. And so this is absolutely essential. While I started off with this concept kind of being like, mm, I kind of feel like I was thrown in there. I don't really know what it means. Now it's really, it's, it's, it's core to me being able to understand what builds um, my family structure. What's the trunk? What holds us strong? What holds us together is our ability to share with one another. It means that we belong in one another's lives.
0: All right, concept seven. The trustees have legal rights, while the rights of the conference are traditional. This is one of my favorite concepts. Um, It's actually my second favorite. The first favorite is concept 10. Um, Personalizing this particular concept, it says, in every group effort, I contribute to harmony by acknowledging my role and its obligations. And so this is all about clarity of roles. So we are in a role that higher power has assigned, and it is, you know, it, it is uh, you know, where we get into fear and uh, mess up the role that's been assigned to us. It, it is us who get into the fear mode. So this is about looking at, am I depending on my spouse or my child or others for my happiness, or am I depending on God? Am I humble, or do I grit my teeth to want to do this by myself? So this is where it really talked about the relationship that we have with our children. And so um, I think it's Paths to Recovery that has an example of where um, the, the parent says that when the child is younger, you know, not an adult yet, and, and, uh, younger than 18, then there's a curfew and there's, there, are ro- there are sort of uh, family norms and that, that the child has to stick to. And the parent's role can be very, definitely a legal role because the parent can be held responsible for if the child gets into trouble. But then as the child is growing, I am so grateful that I had these traditions and concepts because, you know, y'all, I don't, I don't know about you, but I didn't get any manuals when I had a child, you know, uh, about how you were supposed to behave. And so I did whatever I, was, I learned, picked up from my family of origin for the first about nine years or ten years of my child's life. Thank God for Al-Anon Traditions and Concepts, because since then, when I learned about the traditions and concepts, then I started practicing traditions and concepts as a parent, and that made for a much better relationship. So this is about, you know, when my child starts getting into teenage, that I stop taking that completely legal role of, no, you are going to do this, or you are not going to do this, or else, kind of thing. And instead, I start do, you know, bringing up that softer, traditional role. The softer, traditional role of me as a mom is to love, to be available, to listen, to be there to guide. And so, when when he was, you know, a minor and decided to go out late in the evening, I could enforce a curfew and say you have to be back by this time because I am responsible for your legal. Legally, I'm responsible for you to be okay. But now as a 24-year-old, I can't enforce any of the rules. He can come to the house. It was—it blew his mind, by the way. One time he was, um, you know, I think he had come back after graduating college, and uh, he said, so I'm thinking it, it's probably going to be about, you know, 1230 or 1 o'clock at night when I come back from somewhere. And I was like, okay, you know where the keys keys are. And he looked at me like, what, you, you mean you're not going to say anything else? I'm going to come back at one o'clock in the morning. I was like, you're an adult; you can do that. He was like, whoa, we're actually practicing this stuff in my in our household, right? So, but but here's the thing: I if I had acted just as that legal authority and not given him that traditional that softer opening for him to come back and ask me, when he got into a pickle as an adult, he wouldn't have called me and said, hey, mom, I have an adulting question for you. And so I get to be that person that that he gets to call and say, hey, mom, I've got an adulting question for you. What do you do when you blah, 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 right? And so I can share my experience, strength, and hope. Why? Because I've been there longer on this earth than he has, right? But if I was always being that judgmental person, he would not call me, right? So the way that I get, I... I get to be that traditional person, that I get to be that traditional mom is to love. Back to love, right? So that's what I get to do. So traditional is softer and spiritually based. It's sharing. It's gentler. It's a very nuanced um, role. I am a safe adult who is a friend. I respect the gifts, abilities, and individuality of my son. And this allows me to be a vital part of his life. This allows me to be the adult he comes to. And he knows that I would respect his privacy and, and personal integrity. He was in college, and he said something, shared something with me, and he said, Mom, you know, I'm just only sharing it with you. Okay. A year later, he mentioned something to his dad, and his dad looked at me and said, Did you know about this? And I was like, Yeah, but it wasn't my story to tell. And that gave him that feeling of, You know What? I can depend on mom. Mom's there. Mom's going to be there. And she will not just share that out there. And, and, you know, I realized that the reason I used to do that when he was younger, I would just go and tell on either him to his dad or tell on his dad, you know, to him or anything like that. I used to do that because I thought that they gave me power that made me look better. And, you know, what I realized is God gave me this family not to look better, God gave me this family so that I can grow along spiritual lines. That's why. So it's not as important that I look better or I look like somebody that my son, um, you know, our son uh, confides with, but my husband's not the person that he confides with because it's not important. What is important is he had a question and it got answered. So step seven is where growing up in alcoholic home, I had factory settings, right? The factory settings were pretty messed up. Factory settings where you are not enough, so you always have to step on other people. You need to show that you are better than anybody else, and so it doesn't matter whom you compete with. Just consider them an enemy and keep moving forward. Um, Judge others because that's how you're going to be judged, and so, you know, criticize others before you get criticized. And, oh, by the way, don't be vulnerable and don't cry. That was my factory setting growing up. So... When I realize that God is going to uh, remove the defects however and whenever he chooses in step seven, and in tradition seven, I get to replace higher power as the one that that I depend on rather than depending on another person for social, spiritual, and emotional support. In concept seven, it says that now I allow spiritual and practical power to be greater than a legal power. You know, how do I practice this in my family? And how can I be, um, be able to walk and know that higher power is going to clear the way? How can I walk out and know that higher power is going to provide me that, that next step? So it's about not only having humility but having awe about God. Because he is awesome. Concept eight. The Board of Trustees delegates full authority for routine management of the Al-Anon headquarters to its executive committees. I remember first time reading this concept going, what the heck does that have to do with anything about personal life? So when we personalized it, we said, I trust the group members to carry out our routine obligations and remain willing to seek additional support when it's needed. So this is about humility. This is about knowing what my boundaries are, knowing what it is that I can do, not taking on any more than I can. So this is where when I delegate something to somebody, you know, and sometimes I still keep ownership of it. That doesn't allow them to do as much as they can, right? So I have to make sure that I don't try to get scared and try to control everything and know that God is going to work in the gaps, If somebody else didn't completely do whatever they were supposed to, you know what? God is miraculously going to step in through someone else and get it done. I don't have to maintain control of that. So um, when mom was sick, um, she went um, for the last three and a half months of um, her life, she was not able to walk. And so she needed to get, you know, be helped into the bathroom or she needed to have bedside potty or whatever. Take, um, you know, be taken in a wheelchair um, to the doctor's appointments and stuff like that. And she needed round the clock attention and care. And so I tried to do this for about five days and went nuts because I don't know uh, how people care for, you know, people who are sick 24-7 I could not sleep every hour on the hour. She needed to be, you know, taken to the bathroom or she needed something else and she was too hot or she was too cold and I did not get enough sleep and I thought I would go crazy. And so what I needed to do was I needed to ask for help. And finally, when I was so grateful when Alex came and he said, Mom, I'm a night owl, so why don't I take the night shift, you take the day shift and, and we'll be, we'll split it that way. And so it was so helpful because... One, it helped him be a part of her care and, and try to give back to her what she had tried to give him. But also I was a much better person to be around because I got some sleep, you know, I got some rest, I got some sleep. And so it was a lot easier to let go. And you know what? I had to loosen my grip. I had to loosen my grip, grip and, 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 um, trust others, I had to trust that Alex was going to take care of her the best way he could because she had been a loving adult to him, and so he was going to take care of her. And I didn't need to try to control how he was going to take care of her. So what I also get from this concept is a reminder that I need to ask for additional help with anything that is not routine, So if I try to do the routine stuff and something is not routine, I need to be able to ask for help. See, I used to be this like, oh, I am brave and I can handle anything. And things were not routine and then I would get burned out. And then I would get upset with everybody else who didn't take on the routine, non-routine stuff. Well, I had complete permission to ask for help. I didn't. Then I bear the responsibility of, you know, being tired, being exhausted. So, step eight talks about taking responsibility for my part in, re, er, in uh, relationships. That's when I'm trying to note all the people that I've made, um, that I've wronged, and so that I can be prepared to make amends to them. Tradition eight says, I'm not an expert, I don't have to try to do it all, and I may have to hire someone else because that's, you know, we, we can hire special workers. Concept eight says, I will need to delegate to an executive committee for routine stuff instead of killing myself to do that. And I am capable of being responsible for my part, so I need to invest in my efforts wisely. And I know how to use what I have sensibly. So that's concept eight.
1: All right, concept nine. I'll have you know, Concept Nine scared the bejesus out of me. When I first like, looked at it, I was like, I don't want to have anything to do with Concept Nine. Turned out to be one of my favorites. Concept Nine good personal leadership at all service levels is a necessity. In the field of world service, the Board of Trustees assumes the primary leadership. Um, and our personalized version was good leadership is the modeling of healthy behaviors. This helped me a lot. I was scared of the idea of leadership. Um, I scared myself out of the idea of being a leader, of, of what it meant to be a leader, because the example that I saw growing up of leadership was really just about um, do, um, dominating, being, being dominating. That's what it was. It was um, you know, being the loudest person in the room, being the most forceful person, just kind of shutting other people down. That's what I saw as leadership. And I thought, you know, I never want to do that. I never want to be that person. Um, I also didn't feel like I had the capacity to do so uh, because I I just saw somebody else do it and I was like, oh, well, if that person is the most powerful person in the room, I'm the weakest person in the room. I'm never going to be able to be a leader. And so for, for us to understand that good leadership was the modeling of healthy behaviors helped me to reshape what my idea of leadership was. And so a lot of this did come from um, Bill W. has an essay on good personal leadership that's in our service manual, manual um, or uh, essay on leadership that's in our service manual that I highly recommend for anybody who is um, interested in looking into. It, it's, it's quite long, so I can't, I can't read all of it right now. But there are just a few uh, excerpts from it that helped me to see what what does characterize good leadership? I had to reframe what I thought leadership was. Leadership was one of those things I had to redefine because alcoholism defined it in one way that I did not want to participate in. So I had to change my definition. Um, So he says, a leader is a person who can put principles, plans, and policies into such dedicated and effective action that the rest of us want to back him up and help him with his job. And I was like... That sounds kind of nice. Like, that doesn't seem like somebody who's being a danger to other people. Good leadership knows that a fine plan or idea can come from anyone, anywhere. So I was like, okay, so a a good leader listens, listens to others and values their opinion. Um, Nothing can be more hampering to good leadership than opposition for opposition's sake alone. I was like, okay, well, the leadership I saw was a lot of opposition for opposition's sake, so that's not something that I need to be looking for. Another qualification for leadership is give and take, the ability to compromise cheerfully whenever it can cause a situation to progress in what appears to be the right direction. Compromise, compromise was something that I had to learn about in this program because I thought that compromise, compromise was a word that other people used when they, didn't, they did, did something that they didn't want to do. That's what I learned was that like, we're going to compromise and that we're both going to do something that we don't want to do. Because we can't do the thing that we do want to do. Like, that's what compromise meant to me. And so this program and these legacies reframe the idea of compromise as we talk about what it is that we would, that we both want out of this situation, whatever it is. And we find a solution that works for both of us. There's an example. I don't think it has to do with this concept. I think it has to do with like tradition eight or nine or something in Pastor Recovery that says, I have an orange And there's one orange, and there's two of us, and we both want the orange. And so we say, "Okay, well, compromise is that we're going to um, cut the orange in half. And each one of us gets a half of an orange instead of a whole orange. I peel the orange, use the peel, throw the center part away. I need the peel for like whatever, like a zest or something. The other person peels the orange, throws the peel away and uses the center. If we had talked about that, we could have each had the whole orange. One person has all of the peel from it and the other person has all of the like, like fruit part of it. And then we would both have exactly what we had really wanted. We just needed to communicate about that. So that idea of compromise, I was like, okay, okay. That can be a part of this leadership thing that I'm okay with. Um, he goes on to say, progress is nearly always characterized by a series of improving compromises. And I was like, okay, so leadership is about flexibility. We have to learn that destructive critics, who may be a trifle sicker than the rest of us, need not be destructive at all, depending on how we relate ourselves to them. So a lot of, a lot of what he describes with this good personal leadership was, was these principles of um, responsibility, stability, tolerance, flexibility, judgment, and vision. And I was like, okay, okay, I like rules. I like, I like specific parameters. Those work, and those all seem like things that like are reasonable. They're reasonable things for somebody to embody. Um, just a, an excerpt from uh, the forum. Yeah, this is from one of the forums. Do I know which one? No, I don't, sorry. Um, but it's, it's about Concept 9, and it says, "'We earn trust by doing what we say we will do. "'Learning to trust myself is the first step. "'I need to make the commitment to do what I say "'even when it is difficult.'" I cannot let my mouth make commitments that my brain and my body can't fulfill. It is only after I earn trust in myself that I can ask my family and others to trust me. The 12th step requires that I do things in a manner consistent with the Al-Anon Principles." And so um, when I first read that, I was like, okay, but how does that tie into good personal leadership? And what it means is um, I didn't know how to practice these ideas, like these, what, what good, or good leadership is, these like, traits that Bill W. talks about. Um, I didn't know how to practice those. I was like, what does personal leadership mean? And it's personal lead- good personal leadership at all service levels. So um, I get to practice good personal leadership when I am by myself. I'm by myself in any given room. I can still practice good personal leadership with myself in my life. And then when I'm able to practice that myself, then I can branch out to doing so with some other people in my relationships. Um, in my workplace, you know, all of these different, you know, arenas in which I operate, I get to bring myself and um, the really cool part is I don't necessarily have to do additional work. I'm just practicing these principles like that's it. Like if I'm practicing these principles to the best of my ability and I'm aware of these these things that contribute to good personal leadership, I get to embody those. I get the opportunity to do so. And it's it starts with. Do I trust myself if I can trust myself to practice these principles of good personal leadership? then I'm able to extend that when I get to serve others by being in leadership roles with others. I get to continue to practice those because I trust myself, and I trust myself with my relationship relationship with my higher power and the ways that I relate to others.
0: Concept 10. The al uh, con- concept says... Service responsibility is balanced by carefully defined service authority, and double-headed management is avoided. So we personalized it to say a working balance is maintained with careful definitions of responsibility and authority and honored boundaries. So it's all about balanced responsibility. So I have an example of this. Um, When I was a DR, I I had a public outreach uh, coordinator, and um, she was really good. So she was a real estate agent in her in her um, job. And so she had, she didn't care if somebody said no, not yet, or something like that. She kept going. So the wonderful thing about it is, in public outreach, she was not a sensitive flower. She just kept going, right? And so she had set up a. A meeting for us at a battered women's shelter for us to take a meeting there. And so we took a meeting there and I went and another friend of mine from Al-Anon who had had a pretty abusive relationship with an alcoholic that she had divorced and moved on. Um, we both took a meeting there. So we, we had relatedness and we were able to talk about you know what Al-Anon has done for us and stuff like that. We had a great meeting. And then uh, the next day we got an email from the director of the Um, the battered women's shelter sent to the public outreach coordinator. I was on CC and she said, okay, so this was, you know, great. Um, There were two ladies that came and we were very grateful. And so what are the next steps or something like that? So I being from corporate America, I got my, you know, I got my email on my phone and I immediately responded and I said, you know, whatever the public outreach coordinator called me and she said, do you want to be the public outreach coordinator? And I said, no, you are the public outreach coordinator. I don't have time for this. I'm, I'm a DR. I've got my hands full. I don't want to do that. She said, then why did you respond? I, I was very upset that she questioned what I was doing, and she questioned my motive, and that was not fair. You know, and so I happened to have a concept coach, so I called her and I said, Did you know what she said? This is what she said. All I was doing was trying to help. And my concept coach, who is very calm, said, I believe you owe her an amends. And I said, What? How dare you say this kind of stuff, right? You're, you know, she said, Were you on the two line or the CC line? And I said, I was on the CC. She said, You just needed to be informed. She was the one the email was addressed to. She said, what you were practicing, my dear, was double-headed management. I called and I made amends, but, you know, I have never forgotten that. So I ask myself, whenever I'm given something, am I on the to line of the email or am I on the CC line of the email? Because if I'm on the CC line, I have been informed, I am grateful, I am, that's, that's out of my hula hoop. I don't need to take any action on it, right? So that was so important for me. And, and you know, I think that for me, what I have to realize is we're all doing the best we can. And things, you know, as Alex said, turn out better if I involve everyone, if I allow another person to show their gifts. Reaching for personal freedom says we become empowered when we are given the responsibility to do the job, as well as the authority needed to complete it. And... Um, paths to recovery says double-headed management can happen when no one is in charge or when two people or two groups are charged with overlapping responsibilities and authorities. That's what happened at my home, right? Growing up, that's what happened in my home. And what was happening in my home when, you know, I was not practicing the Al-Anon traditions and concepts yet was exactly that because I was the authority, nobody died and made me God, but you know, I was the authority, but, and then, um, uh, my family would be given th- things to do and tasks to do, and I would check up on them, that was double-headed management, I didn't need to do that, so, you know, I just have to think of, you know, th- my, <laughs> so another thing was in, early in my marriage, um, I am not, uh, a gardener, and so, We have a wonderful, beautiful yard, and my husband would, you know, sometimes he would say, well, you might come and enjoy the yard. So sometimes I would, like, you know, put on all kinds of bug spray and everything and put on my gloves and go out there in the yard. Well, I would start to dig somewhere, and my husband would come over, and he would stand there and supervise. I was like, why are you doing that? And so we got into this, like, you know, at first we used to get into this, like, tiff about why he was supervising while I was doing this. And I was like, I don't even care about this. Now you supervising it, that makes it really, really bad. I'm, I'm, I'm out of here, right? But instead, now um, what I was able to say was stop supervising. And that was enough. And then he would go off and do his own thing. And I would come and ask him whenever I needed something. So... And, and with my adult son, there is, you know, there are times when I want to get into his business and I want to share his wisdom. But then I have to ask myself, am I do, practicing double-headed management? And if he hasn't asked me for help, and you know, in you know, concept seven, I've set up a traditional role. If he wants to ask me, he will. And if he hasn't asked me, then I need to shut my mouth and I don't need to get into his business, right? So, so step ten says, when I mess up, I look at my conduct daily. And I make a note of what, what are the things that I did that I need to make amends for? What are the things that I, need, I did that I need to clean up? And where was I in line with how God would have me be and where I wasn't, right? So that's what step 10 tells me. Tradition 10 says, I have everything outside of my hula hoop, none of my business, right? That's what it says. Concept 10 says that we all fulfill our responsibility and I allow God to be in charge of the outcome when I don't try to do another person's job. So it's another way that I'm practicing anything that's outside of my hula hoop is none of my business. So um, I think what helped me is a lot of the asking myself this question of what if this is not a crisis? What if there's nothing wrong Because, you know, I would try to jump into another person's business if I thought there was a crisis that was going to happen or if there was something wrong. What if nothing was wrong?
1: Concept 11. Concept 11 says, the World Service Office is composed of selected committees, executives, and staff members. And this is another concept that I read, and I was like, yeah, there's no way that that's applying to my personal life. Like, what? My life has committees, executives, and staff members? Like, no. But this actually was extremely applicable when we were taking care of my grandmother. um, When, for the first about month that I was back at the house... We were stepping on each other's toes. We were we were getting on each other's nerves a lot, and it was because we didn't have any distinction in what our responsibilities were. So we sat down at one point, and we were very we very nerdy about recovery. And so we we sat down and we got out our reaching for personal reaching for personal freedom, and passed a recovery and a notebook. And we decided to do a little reading. I think we started with the serenity prayer, Um, just like sitting in the office. And uh, we wrote down, okay, first, what is our primary spiritual aim? What is our family's primary spiritual aim? And then um, we read about Concept 10 and Concept 11 because we were both practicing double-headed management. We were both unwilling to share our responsibility with one another. And so then we wrote down all of the responsibilities that needed to be done for the house on a different – on, like, a different sheet. And then we would put them – we would categorize them if they fit under our family's primary spiritual aim. And anything that didn't, it was sort of like, all right, we'll sort that out later. But these are the primary responsibilities. So now that we've identified this, this is a priority for both of us. What works for each person to contribute to? So laundry was one of those things. It was we thought that laundry had to be one task. No, we turned out that you could split laundry into two tasks. We thought that cooking and and cleaning up dishes was one task. No, you could split it into into two tasks. Sometimes there were things that um, it did not theoretically, practically make sense for us to split it up that way, but that it ended up being in, in practice make far more sense so for example my grandmother needed to go to doctors appointments um, i didn't mind driving i didn't mind helping her into the getting her into the car it was a, it was a whole process um, but I couldn't be the person who was in the doctor's appointments with her. I didn't know enough about her medical history. My mom was fine with doing the medical history part, but was, uh, but didn't want to, was, but was upset, agitated by doing the rest of that because it was frustrating. And so did it make sense for us both to need to drive to the appointment? No, it didn't make sense. One person could be able to take care of it. But in order for there to be harmony and sanity, it worked best for us both to go. And ultimately, that was the goal, is for us to have a harmonious, as sane as possible family environment there. And so that required identifying what are our different committees. We even called them different committees, you know? We had the laundry committee. We had the dishes committee. We had the doctor's appointment committee, you know? And in doing so, we were able to identify what we were each bringing with our own individual gifts, talents, and proclivities, and what we were drawn to. And in that way, we were able to share responsibility without having to step on one another's toes, not having to go back and check up, because... You know, if I was the one who wanted to do, uh, if it was something that I was drawn towards, and it was, it was, we had said that it was her responsibility. I would be peeking over her shoulder and being like, "That's not how I would do it," and that's not what I, what we needed to be doing. It was a waste of time. It was a waste of time and energy, and it caused conflict and tension when there didn't need to be. So that was our um, way of practicing concept eleven, which I thought was too way too theoretical in our day-to-day. And we still have, we, we had those for the next two years when I stayed there. Um, we, we continue to practice those same committees. Unless they needed to change, you know, these are flexible boundaries. But we continue to practice those because it was a way that we were able to maintain harmony in our home.
0: All right. Home stretch, concept 12. The spiritual foundation of Al-Anon World Services is contained in the general warranties of the conference, Article 12 of the Charter so, the general warranties. In all its proceeding, the World Service Conference of Allenon anon shall observe the spirit of the traditions. That only sufficient operating funds, including an ample reserve, be its prudent financial principle. That no conference member shall be placed in unqualified authority over other members. That all decisions be reached with discussion, vote, and whenever possible, by unanimity. That no conference action shall, shall be personally punitive or incitement to public controversy. And that though the conference serves Al-Anon, it shall never perform any act of government. And that like the fellowship of Al-Anon family groups that it serves, it shall always remain democratic in thought and action. So we personalized it to say, presuming goodwill and trusting our higher power's guidance, I practice prudence and balance in all of my affairs. So this is about wisdom that comes from practicing this. Now, I had to look up prudence because I didn't understand prudence, and I had to also look up balance. So prudence is to be careful, to not rush, to look at things from all points of view. And so we thought about what does prudence look like when we're looking at financially. Financially, looking at it, there is enough. We don't need to amass too much. We just need to have an ample reserve for emergencies, put, up mo- uh, put away money for retirement and nest egg and that kind of stuff. But we didn't need to necessarily hoard too much. Emotionally, that I am present in conversations, that I show up authentically, and I don't place anchors in others. And physically, I'm, I'm healthy, that I give myself grace, I give myself ample rest, because that gives me an ample reserve so that I can do what needs to be done Spiritually. That it will be enough. My relationship with higher power is a work in progress. That I am doing the very best I can. If peace is my goal, then, you know, it's not the most, you know, money or the most adrenaline junkie. You know, it's not any of that. It's just basically I am, I am making peace my goal. As a parent, um, the second part of the warranties um, teaches me not to punish. I don't have the right Nobody gave me the right to um, to be punitive. Instead, I will try to let my son experience the natural consequences of his actions. And as as a spouse, I get to help my husband um, experience the natural consequences of his actions. I don't have to be punitive in order for that to happen. I just need to be an adult, and I just need to allow other people to be an adult. And so growing up, my factory setting was to operate in extremes, either amass a lot of money as an end in itself or live in scarcity, either exercise unqualified authority or be a dictator, or um, allow people to walk all over me. And so what this shows me is being democratic being placing principles above my overbearing personalities and to take time to consider what is best for others and the group as a whole and be one among equals. And this concept reinforces that I'm a child of God and I'm worthy of occupying space in this on this earth and it keeps me humble and right-sized. And so step 12 says that now that we know that I have a spiritual connection with God, I'm going to try to practice these principles in all my affairs. And how do I do that? Well, concepts, um, the traditions tell me how to practice it in, a, in relationships. Tradition 12 says anonymity, humility, and unity, that, that's what needs to be applied as a foundation to all my behaviors and actions. And then concept 12 says that I practice prudence and balance, and I presume goodwill, and I trust God. So let me give you my sto- one, one story about concept 12. So, you know, I told you all how I was and how my household was. Everybody was scared of me. I would kick doors and all that kind of stuff, right? So this was, what was it, two years ago? Something like that. Last year. So I told you, I'm not a gardener. So I, um, you know, through a series of things, we got to the place of, you know, um, I got a curry plant. I got two curry plants. One of them is dead. Um, but I got two curry plants, and then I was trying to, like, you know, nurture them. And then um, my husband called, and, and my son and I were in the car, and he calls, and, and he said, hey, I am at Home Depot, and I found a tomato plant. And, as, you know, I was like, tomato plant, this is like end of tomato season. And so he goes, no, but it's, you know, it's it's uh, available here. I could get tomatoes. And my son gets all excited. He goes, tomatoes, I would love to have, like, fresh tomatoes. And I thought, this is the end of the growing season. You're probably going to get maybe six tomatoes. And I said, how how much does it cost? $18. I was like, you're going to get six tomatoes. That's going to be $3 per tomatoes. Do you know how many tomatoes you can buy for $18? My son's like, but it's the experience. And my my husband was like, yeah, it would be really good to have fresh tomatoes. I was like, you know, this doesn't make any sense. This is not prudent. This is not a good idea. And so we said, you know, whenever whenever possible, we were going to have a discussion, vote, and whenever possible, unanimity, right? So we had a discussion. And I said, well... You know, let's vote on it, whoever, whatever you guys, you know, whatever the three of us decide, because, you know, with three, you are only going to, you know, at least one is going to be, you know, getting one vote. And so we voted on it. We had an $18 tomato plant. It gave six tomatoes and we had $3 tomato plants. So this time when I went, when it was tomato season, I went first to like Lowe's or Home Depot and I bought like $1.20 or $1.60 tomato plants or whatever. And then I grew them and we have gotten many more tomatoes and we have not spent $18 for them. But you know, what was interesting, and I remember Alex's face when, when I said, you know, we just need to discuss and vote on it. And I remember his face, he was like, gosh, we actually get to discuss and vote? Really? So yeah, it is entirely possible. So I just want to wrap up by saying, you know, steps helped us learn about our true nature. Traditions helped us, you know, work in relationships uh, with, you know, the people in our lives and God of our understanding and, and concepts. Help us make you know help us be the person that God intended for us to be in our families and the the reason that God gave us these families to work with and so you know um I think it's a great idea to work these and and as we, um, as I said earlier, we will provide you those questions and stuff through tammy and she'll be able to share the PDF of questions and stuff like that but you know work the legacies steps traditions, and concepts and I think it's a it's a it's It's changed our life so much that we don't even recognize how our family, sick family relationships used to be, you know, that this is our new normal. And the fact that we can be in the same room and not have any conflict and be able to just joke about it and just be authentic and vulnerable and laugh about things is such a gift. And I think this is how God intended for us to live. So Just, um, you know, wanted to encourage you. And so thank you so much for allowing us to do this. And if you would, please uh, help us close the meeting with the Lord's Prayer.